You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. Happy Thursday, BC, beautiful Canada. How's everyone doing? We have great program on the go today. I want to thank you for listening. Always check out the uh, podcast for The Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio app or Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hannah is back. Sam is still covering for someone else, so good to have Hannah back in the chair with Chris. So the crew is here. The fam dam is back. Here's what's on the menu today. You ready for the specials? The specials are this, and I'm not even, I'm just going to tease the specials. Birth control for men, a pill, benefits of booze. So booze and birth control for men. Dan Riskin tells you about that. You will meet an Olympian who competed in gymnastics. As you know right now, this is just horrifying. This is horrifying. That that the gymnastics world, like in the U.S., has gone on essentially, I don't want to use this word lightly, but they've abused or tortured these young kids who... You know, they start gymnastics when they're like, you know, six. And now all these Olympians are saying that they were abused. That gymnastics can't, they're, they're, they're allegations by current and former athletes saying, uh, we're, we were abused. We're going to meet one of these athletes, Alexandra Landry, Canadian Olympic gymnast. She competed in the rhythmic gymnastics team in the 2012 London Olympics, won three medals at the Pan American Games. Wait till you hear her story. So you're going to meet an Olympian who's like, you know what? It wasn't worth it. I wanted to represent my country, but I was basically abused to do it by coaches. And speaking of coaches, on a totally different note, I'll hear from you about special connections to your kids. Like, what do you do? Because this weekend... My son has his last hockey tournament. His house league's over. We lost in the finals, one nothing. And this is it. Um, he's been playing hockey since he was a kid. He's about to graduate. And I've been coaching him his whole life. And for many of the dads and moms, my wife coached my daughter, who was a competitive ringette player. This is our last tournament. And, 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 and now I could tear up. This will be the last time I coach my son in hockey um, on Sunday. And <clears throat> it has been one of the most meaningful, enjoyable, enriching experiences of my life. And I was told many years ago, the one thing you tell your kids in sports is just to always tell them, I love watching you play sports. And I love watching my son. I, I love watching his friends. I love watching the kids get out in the ice and play. <clears throat> I love watching my daughter play ringette or any sport, as did my wife. But it's my last moment. And, and it sort of came because last night my daughter called because she's in first year university. And she said, hey, Dad, Disney's got this new um, Marvel show out called um, Moon Knight starring Oscar Isaac. And I, I, don't, I wasn't going to watch it, but she loves that stuff. And she goes, we should watch that together. So I said, sure, because I love it because she loves it. 
And then I watched it and I liked it. And we have a special connection when we watch these shows together. She and I like certain things. She likes Agatha Christie. So we watched that, you know, Death on the Nile. We read it. So I'm, I'm interested in talking to you about your special connections to either your parents or your kids. Like, what are the things you do? Sewing, cooking, coaching, doesn't matter. Because I'm having a special connection that is going to end um, with one of my kids this Sunday. And, and you got to reestablish new special connections. And I really want to hear from you. What are your special connections? What are the things that you do with your parents or your kids? Because we need connections in a world of disconnect. And speaking of a, a world of disconnect, uh, a couple things going on right now. You're going to meet someone today who was an, an interpreter for the Canadian military in Afghanistan. Now, we always thank people who serve our country, but former Afghan translators and former Afghan interpreters who now live in Canada want their families home from Afghanistan. Because the Taliban have taken over. And today, on Parliament Hill, they are not only going to protest, but some of them are going to begin a hunger strike. So we don't forget about their families who are being tortured and targeted by the Taliban. So, you'll meet a man who's embarking today on a hunger strike. A man who served our country. A man whose family is now in mortal danger. A man who tried to save the lives of our men and women in uniform. And they deserve our attention. How, how's that? Like, like the lineup today is crazy, right? We're going to have the, this, an Olympic gymnast. We're going to have a, a, an Afghan interpreter starting a hunger strike. Amazing people that are on the program today. Amazing people. By the way, something else just happened. Uh, the Pope just finished meeting with indigenous leaders, the First Nations leaders. Remember, he'd met with the Métis and the um, Inuit. Now he's just met with uh, First Nations leaders. And we all waited for, for, for some kind of announcement. Will the Pope apologize? Because there are five big things that they, the leaders have gone to Rome. And I think the power dynamics are wrong here. But they've gone to Rome to tell their story about residential school abuse and torture and they want a couple things call to action number 58 in the truth and reconciliation they want a formal apology did they get that today no they want the pope to apologize popes never apologize that one pope benedict expressed in private deep sorrow but not sorry now, the Pope says, has indicated, maybe the Pope will come to Canada and say sorry, but so far we're dangling in suspense. Did that happen today? Met for 90 minutes with uh, survivors of, of residential institutions. No sorry. Promise to turn over all the records? No. Promise to return the artifacts? No. Promise to fulfill the long-standing promise to at least compensate financially in 2006, the residential school settlement required the church to raise $25 million to do it. They didn't do it. They raised 3.7 and then they got out of it. Now they're promising the Catholic bishops $30 million. Did the Pope promise to compensate? No. 
And finally, there's a guy who was accused of years of sexual abuse, a guy named Father Rivoire, who is a French national, so we can't ex- he can't be extradited to Canada. But there are charges, and, and all the leaders are asking the Pope, use your authority to force Rivoire back to Canada to face charges and accountability for sexual abuse allegations. No word on that. Now, maybe all this changes tomorrow because there's a one final meeting and the Pope may speak. And we hope that the Pope apologizes or says, I will come and apologize. But is it asking too much to say sorry? We know what's happened. But I just want you to know that, again, the, the, the Métis, the Inuit, and the First Nation leaders have all had audiences with the Pope, which is good. But on all five key requests, there has been only hints and no movement. No sorry, no records, no compensation, no artifacts, no movement on the alleged abuser, Rivoire. None. I say this because I think it's important. Because this is not out of a lack of respect for the church. This is about the quest for justice, which I think you and I all would like to see. All right, coming up, this story, this story is, think about this, a woman who just fled the war in Ukraine, and I'm going to credit the Toronto Star for breaking this story, now has cancer, came to Canada, can't get medical treatment in Canada, and has flown back to the war zone to get treated. What is happening? Making sense of the latest news. You're listening to The Evan Solomon Show. The war in Ukraine may be abstract to many. Four million refugees, 100,000 applied to Canada. But for Anastasia Naklutska, it's real. Anastasia is a nursing student at Seneca College, and her mom, Ludmila, was in Kharkiv. Kharkiv has been bombed brutally by the Russians. So she fled to Kiev. And then from Kiev, she decided, I got to get out of this war zone. So she came to visit Anastasia. But then she got a call from her doctor in Ukraine and said, you've got cancer in your fallopian tubes. You got, you got to get chemotherapy. But it turns out she couldn't get it in Canada. So get this. Ludmila, Anastasia's mom, has had to fly back to a war zone to get treated. What is going on here? Now, I want to credit the Toronto Star for this story, Nicholas Kuhn, who, uh, who first broke this story. So we always credit whoever uh, brought this story to our attention. But it is an absolute pleasure to welcome Anastasia Niklutska here uh, on our program. Hi, Anastasia. Oh, hi. Hi. When I read this story about your mom having to go back, I was heartbroken. Um, First, tell me what, how your mom escaped the war. Uh, so when, so when everything started, right, I just, uh, actually nobody could believe it that it happened. And 
And they, they were when when Russia started bombed the Kharkiv and it was very horrible, and they were hiding a couple days in the basement. And I just I just begged her to come because she has visitor visa, so she visits us every year, every summer, right? right. And I just begged her to come because like stay safe here, but. But actually, she didn't want to come because she has relatives there. She even has her mom. So she she didn't want to come. But then when it was some opportunity, uh, because she lives by herself, she cannot, like, drive or, you know, with someone else. And But when her friend asked her, okay, let's, let's go. Let's go to west part of Ukraine, and then you can, you can take a flight from Poland to, to Canada. She just, uh, yeah, she just decided to come. And but then it's a long way. Yeah. yeah, it's a long way. So she comes, Kharkiv's getting bombed, Kiev's under shelling, yeah. And, yeah. and so she flees with millions of others. Thank God she's yeah. come to see you and your daughter. And then Yeah, we were very happy, yeah, when yeah. she came. And then what happened? She gets a call from her doctors in Ukraine. What did they tell her? So, so yes, like you know, like February the second, she had a surgery. It was like a, you know, like like it was just doctor advice here because they found some cyst in her one of her ovaries and they just recommended okay let's do the surgery just avoid any complications so she did all like labs mri everything looks okay no like they didn't find any issues like you know additional issues so but but because they took biopsy and it takes time to reveal result and that time russians start to bomb and everything was closed of course like you know uh clinics nothing was working that time so she couldn't reach them about result but she was thinking everything is okay so she just decided okay uh, i just will come so but then in march 20 uh since the surgery so she received the call from her doctor and he told he told her oh actually we just received your result and it's not too good but, you know, we found the cancer in fallopian tube. And you have to start chemo right away. Like, he advanced, uh, advised to start chemo right away. Yeah, so she, she could, so you think she's got chemo here, right, Anastasia? You think, okay, she, you know, like, yeah. we have programs here for refugees that can get some limited health care. And, and there's some refugees coming from Ukraine are supposed to be able to get health care system and health care here in Canada. But your mom couldn't. Why not? No, because we didn't apply for refugee. Because right, because she's a visitor. Yeah, we did, she did, yeah, she didn't want the refugee because she was planning to go back. She's elementary school teacher, like, you know, she was so positive, like, oh, in September, like, you know, we hope everything will uh, finish faster. And, you know, she has this hope. She didn't want to actually stay in Canada. She has her life there, her friends there. like. Uh, of course, but there's a war. She would have, l- yeah. let me ask you, Anastasia, yeah. would you have wanted your mom to stay in Canada with your nine-year-old son and ask to get the chemotherapy. Would you have preferred that? Of course. And yet she had to fly back to a war zone? A war? Where is she right now? What's happening? So, so now, you know, uh, when we received this call, we just, we just was thinking, oh, it's no way to do it in Canada because it's like too expensive and it for sure takes time for all this, you know, like additional, additional maybe paperwork for everything. And we just decided, okay, maybe it's better to go back to Ukraine in the safer, at least safer part of Ukraine. We just contacted the Lviv, like, you know, uh, like the city in the West. Yeah. Western and- Ukraine, Lviv. Yeah. 
yeah, like we, we even in one of Frankivsk, so they can provide the treatment and they told, oh, yeah, we, uh, we have this medications, like uh, the supplies. So if you come, we, we can just start treatment right away. So we just de- decided it, it would be the faster way to do it because uh, the doctor told actually the time was lost. Because of this situation in Ukraine, they're supposed to start this treatment earlier. Oh. So she had more chances. But the time was lost already. And we, did, we didn't want to lose any like, additional time. So at least, you know, start to chemo. So she's back in Ukraine. Your mom's back in a war zone getting chemotherapy. Yeah. Yes, yes. It's, it's, it's kind of heartbreaking, right? Like... She, I know, she yeah. comes to Canada, she flees here, she's got a daughter here, you're a nursing student, you could take care of her, and now she's gone and back she's, alone? Yeah, and she's alone, you know, she just, she, she has your brother, right, he supports her, but still, you know, she's alone, yeah, and I'm only child who can help you. You're the only child, and I understand you lost your father a couple of years ago. Yes, yes, I'm so sorry. again, you, again, because of cancer, right, you know, oh, and... So, 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 so how's your, how's your son taking it? What do you, how do you, what do you say to your son? You know, actually, yeah, he's, he's very smart boy and he understands everything. And yeah, he was, he was like very supportive for Ukrainian army for everything. And um, he was very happy that she escaped. She came, she is safe. And now, you know, it was so difficult to explain him why she has to go back again in the war. <laughs> like, you know, why are you sending her back? So, so yeah, but, but she just, you know, um, because she, she's actually, she's very, uh, very positive person. My mom, very strong and positive. So she, she told him, it's okay. I will come back in summer. You know, I just mm. need to get some medication very quickly, you know, so, <laughs> and I will come back for sure. Yeah. Is she in danger now? Uh, not, not really, but it's still not safe, you know, not yeah, stable not because safe. overnight they, they just, um, bombing different, different part of Kharkiv. Uh, and you know, I, I know they, they she's in, she's in Kharkiv now. Oh, you know what? Yeah. Because like, she oh my in Kharkiv, and they told, oh, you know, it takes time for making decision. Probably you need another surgery and then chemo. But doctor from Kharkiv, he told, oh no, uh, you have to get chemo first, no surgery. So now he, he went again to Kharkiv. Now she's but, so, so, she, so your mom's in Kharkiv? Kharkiv has been bombed, Anastasia. Yes, she is oh in Kharkiv oh. and she's waiting for her medication. We ordered from another part of the city for this medication. And now she's waiting. She's waiting for delivery. This, this needs to be fixed. Stuff. And I know, I, I know you're not mad at Canada, but you know she came here as a, on a visitor. Visa, yeah. and, and we got to talk to the immigration minister, folks, because here's a mom who's come to Canada... We're supposed yeah. to be helping Ukrainians. She should be able to get health care here. She's literally gone back to Kharkiv, one of the most dangerous cities. Like, it's, it's crazy. Anastasia, I feel for you. I, I don't know it's how... It's crazy I, because, you know, we, we actually, we were planning, like, she stay in in safer part, right? In the West. Like, it's yeah. okay there. It's not too dangerous. But because situation again changed, and she told me, like, she just put me in the situation, like, oh, I'm coming back in Kharkiv. So I couldn't, like, you know, in, influence on her decision. <laughs> oh, man. Because she actually promised. She promised she, she wouldn't go back in Kharkiv. So here's what we'll do. Anastasia, let's stay in touch. Um, uh, I'm going to try to raise this with the immigration minister uh, and, and just see that visitors should have access to Canadian health care. 
Anastasia uh, Naklutska, I hope your mom is okay. I hope you're okay. I can't imagine what you're going through. Uh, let's stay in touch. Again, shout out to the star who broke this story, but we'll also raise attention. We'll take a break. Someone on a hunger strike next. As your world changes, we adapt to get your answers. Now more with Evan Solomon. How far would you go to save your family? Well, the answer is there's no limit, right? Look, we just heard from um, Anastasia Naklutska, whose mom fled the war in Ukraine, came to Canada as a visitor, couldn't get health care here, for cancer, needed urgent chemotherapy, and is now back in Kharkiv. Kharkiv. Now back in a war zone. And you think, my God. But don't forget about Afghanistan. Also a war zone. Also a deadly place. Maybe more deadly. For people especially who used to help Canadians. The families of the interpreters who Canada promised to get out. We promised to take in 40,000 refugees from Afghanistan. We've barely taken in 10,000. And so today, a series of people who worked as interpreters, which was a dangerous job for the Canadian Armed Forces during the war in Afghanistan, are going on a hunger strike to raise awareness of the fact that their family are being targeted. By the, ta- by the Taliban right now. And Ahmad Syed is the organizer of the hunger strike on Parliament here. He worked as an interpreter for the Canadian Armed Forces in Afghanistan. And Ahmad joins me now. First of all, sir, thank you for your service. I hope your family is safe. I know they're not. Um, <clears throat> tell me why you've decided to organize this hunger strike on Parliament Hill. Um, thank you so much. I do appreciate the time given to me. Um, like we all know, if you are watching the media, we are witness of the social media Taliban are targeting um, Afghan uh, families, uh, the extended families of the former interpreters who work with the Canadian forces, uh, with the Canadian mission in Afghanistan and center the country, Kandahar province. So by the now, the Taliban are targeting our families, our parents, our siblings. The government promised to bring our extended families as possible. The public policy opened on December 9, 2021. Submit our applications and documents and apply for the process from December 9, January. Those people who submit their files from December 9 to January 5th, they receive the file number. 35% of the group that who work with me and that the, the people that they are coming for the hunger strike the 65%, the remaining of the people, they don't get the UCI numbers and the file numbers because of extra information, because of the process is very slow, because the IRCC is asking for the questions and documents and, 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 and information that they could ask these questions three, four months ago. If they process one file a day, our families will be... Uh, by next 
one family not, a day. Sorry, they're processing one file a day. They don't process one file a day. Oh my so God. from from January fifth, January twenty fifth, and from January twenty fifth, now that I'm talking with you, and the public is listening to me. IRCC Immigration Office even not process one single document. From the December 9th, the public policy opened officially till now. Canada and IRCC and our families does not make even a single family to come to Canada. Especially my own family is waiting from last five months. The application is processed. They are just waiting for the biometrics. Mm. And they have to go to the third country. So, so can I ask you, is, is, your, is your family in danger right now? Yes, they are. It's not just my family. It is the family of extended former interpreters who work with the Canadian soldiers, contribute to the Canadian mission in Afghanistan side by side with the Canadian veterans, with the Canadian Army. All these families, families who work with the Canadian forces, they are in danger. They're on a high risk. They're moving from city to city. They're moving from village to village, place to place. They don't have a day. They don't have a night. The night and the day is mixed on their life. Oh You're leaving God. with the fear. You're leaving with the suicide. They're leaving that the Taliban will arrest them. The Taliban will kill them. The Taliban will kidnap them. People are disappeared. Some of our families are disappeared. People in this hangar is trying today that they are crying to me and they told me that Ahmad, two of my brothers disappeared from last two weeks. Oh my God. So, so Ahmed, could you, I get, <clears throat> I'm losing your phone connection a little if you could just speak into it because I want people to hear you. Speaking of Ahmed Sayed, a uh, organizer of the hunger strike on Parliament Hill, he worked as an interpreter with the Canadian Armed Forces in Afghanistan. On your hunger strike, just tell me. How long are you prepared to go? Are you so you're eating no food? Are you are you drinking water? Not drinking water. We are not eating food. We will not leave the Parliament Hill uh, today. We have this hunger strike continue tomorrow, and I have a permit for day after tomorrow as well. So we will stay here until someone come and talk with us, and someone give us a proper answer, and someone will find a solution and a safe pathway. For our families to evacuate from Afghanistan and a safe pathways for the families that they are leaving in Pakistan. And they have to accelerate the process, speed up the process, and assign more UCI and G numbers and file numbers for the rest of our families. The Honorable Minister of Immigration, Sean Fraser, said in our meeting that I had a meeting with him months ago, I believe. He said the paperwork the file is on my hand, but I don't have control over Afghanistan airports and over the Taliban. Yeah, that's what he told me. He told me that too. But I'm asking the, the, the Honorable Minister now that if the paperwork is on your hand, why the documentation, why the application is, is still pending? Why the 65% of these people are not receiving the UCIG number? Why the process is not getting done? If there is a, there is a miss Mess of documents, mess of information, need more information, need more verification. Why IRCC not send them the files back, notice them for extra information and provide more documents? Why everything is just totally stopped 
Yeah. We don't get any response from IRCC. That's what I called from the minister. If he can answer me, why everything is stopped? Even a document is not complete. I have to send an email to the principal applicant and ask for more clarification. But that's not happening. No. Uh, <clears throat> I just got a minute here. So if you had, if you had, if you had one, Ahmed, real quick, if you had one message to the immigration minister, what would it be? The first question is that we are a country, a powerful country. I'm a proud Canadian, and I'm proud that I live in Canada, and Canada is the part of G7. I meet the minister, and I ask the minister, and I ask the honorable prime minister that find a safe pathway, work with the countries on the neighborhood, on the region, like Pakistan, Doha, Turkey, whatever countries on the neighborhood, to host our people and move them to the safe zone from Afghanistan after get the paperwork done and bring them to Canada. I don't want IRCC and I don't like any bad person come to my country right. and make problem for my Canadian citizens and for my children and a big security concern for myself. But we have to think that on the other side, I'm talking about the life of my family. I hope your family. Family who work with the Canadian forces, we have to save their life. The Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and the Honorable Minister of Immigration—they are accountable for their work. What they see that they are saving our families. We are Canadian soldiers. We are Canadian veterans. They have to treat us with respect and with fear. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> and this is not fair. In this cold weather, we are outside in the Parliament, and nobody is contacting us. Uh, appreciate, uh, <clears throat> listen, take care on this. We are thinking about your family, Ahmed Sayed, organizer of the hunger strike. You worked as an, uh, <clears throat> an interpreter for the Canadian military, our armed forces. He needs his family safe. We need to help these folks. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thanks. We'll speak again. My God. The passion. We got to listen to these voices. Okay, coming up. Is this a government waste of money or the right thing to do? We'll find out. Finding answers to all your questions. You're listening to The Evan Solomon Show. So there's a story going around that's causing a lot of waves, and I want to get your take on it. I'll give you mine. one 1010 Let's get the dialogue going on The Evan Solomon Show. one 1010 or 71010. That is the number to reach us. So the government, it turns out, and, and Hannah, I guess this was a CTV News story. Um, in 2021, the Canadian government, I'll read you this. Tell me if this bugs you. In 2021, the Canadian government turned to social media influencers to promote federal initiatives on multiple occasions, from COVID-19 vaccine rollouts to winterlude staycations. They spent $600,000 to seek out influencers. Those are social media users who have large followings who are paid to promote brands or, or events. And so CTV News analyzed the documents, to, and I think it's good that we did. And the figures came out because conservatives wanted to know what was the spending. That's their job. 
I think this is all good for democracy. So the, uh, I'll read you some more. The figures presented in response to an inquiry from the conservatives show that the federal entities who disclosed their relation spending, related spending between Jan 1st, 2021 and January 31st, 2022, Health Canada was the top spending when it came to contracting influencers. Their bill amounted to more than $130,000 for an influencer campaign to support COVID-19 vaccination marketing and advertising. Now, I can go through all the details of who they got. There was some tourism stuff. And, you know, they promoted P.K. Subban, the NHL defenseman, and Kyle Lowry. Like, okay, is this a waste of money? Is this a waste of money? 600 grand. A lot of people say yes. Here's why I say follow the puck here. No. And you can tell me, 1-855-633-1010 or 71010. It's a waste of money if you don't know what's called the ROI, the return on investment. I don't know what bang for our buck we got. What protocols does the government use to measure results, right? First, you got to get results. You got to pay money. You got to get results. Do we have a metric? Do we have, you know, the difference between putting an ad in print or an ad on radio or a Google ad is that like on radio, you'll know exactly how many people are listening all the time because we can track it. And on Google, you can do that. I don't know how the government tracks the return on investment on their ads. But I could tell you this. I don't mind. Look, Kids, young people don't watch television. They may not, they're, you know, the media environment is fractured. They're not watching ads on television. I wish they were. I host two television shows. I'd love them to do it. But it's a diminishing audience for young people. They're on social media. And influencers like, from the Kardashians on down, play a major, major role. What is wrong with the government in a pandemic Trying to communicate to taxpayers, young taxpayers who don't, you know, would you be mad if they had ads about COVID on television? No, there's no story there. The story is, oh, they're paying influencers. I don't care as long as it works. I want to reach people. You got to fish where the fishes are. You know what bugs me? Government waste bugs me. I'll tell you what pisses me off. Not 600 grand for the government to communicate about tourism to help people tour in Canada. I want to help Canadians in the tourism industry who have been decimated, don't you? I remember when I was in my 20s, a buddy of mine said, Hey, Evan, you should go to Ile de la Madeleine, a little island in the St. Lawrence. Never heard of it. He said, It's the most beautiful place you'll ever see. It's got beaches on one side, cliffs on one side. It's incredible. You'll love it. I, I went with a buddy. Actually, it was a girlfriend at the time. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Never heard heard of it. Have you ever heard about Ile de la Madeleine? You can't travel during COVID. Travel internally, domestically. What a great place. I don't mind that. You know what bugs me? Six years and a billion, $1.4 billion for the disastrous launch of the Phoenix pay system when the government wanted to upgrade its pay system. It didn't work. There's, oh, there's, there's errors. And now they want to eliminate it permanently. It's a billion and a half dollar boondoggle. 
Does that bother me? That drives me crazy. It's money, good money after bad. It's inefficient. It's a waste. It's a disaster. Does that bother you? You should be mad about government waste. The Phoenix pay system is a classic example of government boondoggle, government waste. You should be livid about that. We should have more accountability on that. 600,000 bucks to inform Canadians about COVID. I have literally zero problem with that. And I don't care if it's influencers. That influencers work for young people. What's wrong with that? Sonny, what's up? Sonny, you're on the line. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. What's up? What's your take? I find it, my take is it's absolutely ridiculous to, bring, to, to actually have this topic. Because if you look at it, what is good for the goose is good for the gander. So I don't see the, why you should frame it that it's a liberal conservative matter and that, the, uh, you know, because the conservatives do exactly the same thing in our province at the moment. By advertising uh, billboards on the road that I see how well they are doing with the construction of highways. Right. Well, why don't we ask them then also the same question? We, why don't we have the same outrage that I, they have? I literally, but, but Sonny, 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 dial it back. I literally just said I have no outrage about this. I just said I think this is a smart thing to do. Like you're pushing against an open door, Sonny. You and I agree. I don't mind government advertising when they're not, when it's not propaganda. There are rules about that. If it's not self-promotion for the party, because there's rules about that, informing Canadians like this through, so, I, Sonny, you and I agree, man. The, the point is that I do not, I, most probably, I understand that you see what you're telling me now, but in the first opening of your monologue, you use the term, the liberals are doing it. Yes. And the minister of health is responsible for this, and that the conservatives were asking how this money is being spent. Right, and I think that's great. So it's, not, it's not a political issue, Evan, between the liberals and the, and the conservatives, because A... We had a pandemic, and we know that people were hesitant to get vaccinated. We know that right. people were hesitant to accept that this COVID is real. You had a convoy. Sonny, Sonny, you and I agree. I, 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 listen, hold on, Sonny. I, I love your passion. I agree with you. Governments need to inform. What I said was, this is the process works, though, and I appreciate the call. My point here is CTV analyzed spending. The job of the opposition is to watch, and the media is to watch over what government does with our money. It's important. And the good news is, if it's being spent well, or if, great, this to me is not a problem. I'm with you, Sonny. You know what a problem is? $1.4 billion wasted on Phoenix. Let's talk about that. But I'm with you, man. I think sometimes the world, we need to take yes for an answer. I just, I love it. Sonny, good call. Uh, Scott Reed, overhyped, underplayed. Maybe that's overhyped. We'll find out next. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is the Evan Solomon Show. It is time for Overhyped and Underplayed with our pal Scott Reed, CTV News political commentator, former comms director for Paul Martin. Overhyped. Great jobs and opportunity. In this election, here's what I want to do. Or underplayed. Well, he's never overhyped. He's always underplayed. 
It is Scott Reed. Hello, sir. Hello, my friend Evan Solomon. How are man, you? Man, you, you sound far away. Where are you? What, what nether regions are you exploring today? I'm far. I'm very far. I'm distant from you emotionally and physically. I'm in uh, um, I'm in a place called Toronto. It's a distant uh, mm, spot. Yes, yes. Um, but I think really it's the emotional factor that separates us. I think, I think frankly, and I mean, it seems awkward to do this on air, but for a while now we've been growing apart, Evan, and I think it's time for us to face up to facts. Uh, we just may not be able to continue on together. Can we just like, is this like a just friends moment? Can we just, is that it? We're breaking up. I don't, I, I don't, I, I, or just not friends. Just is, this, is this like I'll even worse? For myself, I just don't know if friends will work. I think I may find that too hard to take. I want to tell you something that I've, I've been meaning to say for a long time. Okay. I like you. I don't love you. Uh, All right. So let me, so overhyped and underplayed. I'm here with Scott. Reed. Oh, I'm just supposed to go on from that. Am I? Is that right? Oh, you just, you just doormat me. And now I'm supposed to just play this little radio game. Huh? Okay, sure. Fine. Well, well speaking of playing the radio game, I hear you're co-hosting the rush with our pal, Jim Richards on news talk 1010 today. I am. And there's a fellow who knows a friend when he sees one. Uh, I am in Toronto, News Talk 1010 AM. I've been doing it all week. I'm going to do it the rest of the week today, tomorrow. Um, it's fun. You know, we get on there from four to six and we talk about important policy issues. And, all you know, right. You all right. you know, well, are, you, are you like now puffing it out, like saying oh, that's real good radio? Me and Jim Richard. Now, that's radio. What you do here. That's not radio. What Jim and I do. That's the radio stuff, man. That's the real stuff. Well, I don't know. Bell Media's been sending me messages with the subject line platinum. I, I, I mean, I don't know. You get those, <laughs> God. But, uh, it's unbelievable. One week in the co-host chair with Jim. I, I tell you what Jim sent me a note. He said, my back is killing me from carrying Scott. That's all he said. There's no doubt of that. There's no doubt That's of that. That's all he said. I didn't Especially know I didn't know what to say. Remote studios. Good grief. It stinks. I don't know how you guys I, do it. I don't know. I don't know. I know. I sent Jim a back brace today. Uh, federal government uh, is tabling their budget April 7th. First budget since the election. First budget since their whopping little cooperative deal with the with the NDP. They've got uh, the environment issue. They've got the, the defense issue. They've got massive promises with the NDP. Overhyped or underplayed? massively underplayed just as every and i'm going to sound like the oldest of old man i'm old man martin staffer okay 1995 biggest budget in canadian history we treated our budgets as though we're a mission statement for the government on an annual basis they occupied enormous amounts of territory you know for governments politically policy-wise and i you know i just feel like this government has has really not invested in the mechanism that's available to them in a budget not just to say this is how much we're spending on all these various things but to talk about what the priorities are, what their priorities are not, what their, what values are going to guide them. And so I think it's underplayed. And, you know, particularly in this moment, you know, they, they, they first, they abandoned the fiscal anchor. We had the pandemic. They've got to do that. Then they said, well, we have fiscal guardrails. Now those guardrails have been blown by. So we, you know, the question is, and now we've got an NDP liberal uh, agreement and yeah, there's lots of things in there that I might like, but it's like, how do you reconcile all this? Oh, and by the way, we're going to travel around Europe and uh, hint that we're going to boost our defense mm. spending. I mean, how how do you reconcile the fiscal track? And so I think the budget's underplayed and I'll be watching it carefully because I think it needs to be treated more importantly than it has been. Yeah. Sorry, Jim Richards. He just blew his best stuff. That's all he's got. Bottom of the barrel. But, but let me, on a serious note, I remember, you know, liberals long reputation to be a liberal is you're, you're a spend liberal that, that they deficits and they can't handle the money. And yet under the Martin years, 
and the Martin Kretchen years, it was like, wow, the, the brand had changed. It was hard won, lots of cuts. You were there for that. Do you believe that that is now being torched? And I mean that sincerely, that, look, if you're a progressive, you might think this is great. Uh, I know inflation is going to mean there's going to be some probably surprises that in the short term, this 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 government's going to see big revenues in the short term. There's economies bounce back and inflation actually does help the government revenues, resource prices does. But the bottom line is they're, they're booking long-term permanent spend programs that they've blown through every fiscal guardrail. Have the liberals now completely torched the fiscal restraint brand that you were part of building? Well... <laughs> I'm not wound up about that. I mean, because to be, you know, from my perspective, uh, like I'm not so stuck in the past and in the mud um, as to believe that that's a definition of what a liberal is. I mean, that was to me, liberals are pragmatic centrist parties that respond to the challenges that are most pronounced. So at that point, it made sense. We had, we were atypical. We were the only country with these kinds of fiscal challenges or one of a very few. That was the challenge. That was the barrier to uh, advancing as a country. There are other barriers to advancing now. So we're addressing so I'm not hung up on that. But I also believe that the Liberal Party has to signal always that it is distinct from the NDP, that there isn't just a progressive and non-progressive uh, sort of split in the in the political spectrum, that there's a center and then we occupy it. And part of maintaining that definition is always having uh, a bread and butter economic uh, storyline. And, and I do worry about whether that has become so, um, you know, so subordinate uh, that we're losing some of that definition. Definition. And I think there's a difference and ought to be a difference between the new Democratic Party, which is not fundamentally a brokerage party, and the Liberals, which should be a brokerage party. So that's my hang up. It's a little less about be like Paul mm. Martin, a little more like, you know what, make certain you don't fly on one wing. What are, what are you looking for? What's the most overhyped part of the budget? What's the most underplayed part? Well, I think, you know, I, I, I think the most underplayed part is what are we going to do, uh, literally what are we going to do in terms of the energy transition for um, for workers that are going to be affected? I know they set aside, they said there's going to be $9 billion in transition spending for those folks. What's that really going to be about? One of my beefs with government, not just this federal government, but governments in general these days, they seem to have come to the conclusion that a dollar figure is the same as an outcome. It's not, right? So what is $9 billion? And is it going to be $9 billion now, but it's going to stretch to $15 billion? And how are we helping people? What are we doing? Are we are we re-equipping them to continue to work in the energy sector? Are we transitioning them out of the energy sector? Because if this is a national enterprise dealing with climate, and I think it is, and I think we must, and I think we should, and it's a good thing to deal with it, well, then we also have to figure out how we deal with those that are affected, and that's a national enterprise. So it's not just saying we said $9 billion the other day, therefore that's just the same footnote of the budget. I want more detail. That to me is the thing. If this is the biggest challenge facing us post-pandemic, then I want more detail. I want to know that we're not just throwing money at the problem. I want to know how we're doing it. That's my big problem. Not just what, but how. Yeah, I think the other word that people better and this government better figure out is inflation. <clears throat> they just got to figure it out. It, it It is absolutely the number one topic. And they got it. They better be able to walk, chew gum, juggle a plate, ride a bike, tame a bear. That's basically what it's like to govern right now. There's a lot of big problems, right? 
And, and it can't defend. just be absolutely. And it can't just be because they will leave themselves so vulnerable politically. It can't just be, listen, we're here to tell you we've looked at it. Oh yeah. Um, and what you need to know is that this is a global phenomenon. We're not the cause of it. Therefore we ought not to be blamed. Or for we've it. got your no. back or we've got like, yeah. okay, like I, I get it. No, what, what are we doing? Right. We know that we're only a piece of the issue, but you know uh, what are we doing? It isn't about inflation. It's about cost of living and the impact on people's bottom line budget on a household basis. What are we doing to make that better, not worse? That's where you, if you look like your answer to that is, mm. well, it's a, it's, Hey man, it's tough all over. You're missing it. Yeah. I, I mean, I think uh, Justin McGuire, the show me the money phase, we got to show me the results. Um, I got a minute. Uh, I'm got, you know, Sunday's the last tournament hockey tournament. I've, I'm, I've coached my son my whole life. My, my wife coached my daughter. Uh, and it's the last moment. Um, and, and it's kind of emotional, so I'm going to talk about that. But I'm, I'm asking about special connections you have with your kids. Like, you have to build special things, whether it's coaching or cooking. Uh, i got a minute here. you got a bunch of kids out. you got a passel of children. Do you have anything like a real special connection between uh, either your kids or, or your parents? Something that, like, you know, those special moments. Yeah, not so much with my parents. As far as I, I remember, they dropped me off in front of a Brady Bunch episode and then picked me up when I was 17. So I forget about that. But um, I, I think, you know, to me, I, it's a little bit different with all four boys. Um, the one thing in particular, sports coaching, that's a big part of it yeah. in some of them. Um, music is another big part of it, a bunch of different things. The number one thing I would uh, that, that jumps out at me um, with almost all of them um, at the cottage in the summer, in the early evening, Sitting together on the deck and reading, yeah. reading aloud a book, reading a oh, book aloud. Scotty, okay, we're gonna That's do that. Stuff. That's beautiful. And it's a little connector. It's a connector. Okay, Scott Reed, you're a beaut- Uh We're gonna talk about this next. We'll take a break. As this story changes, we react. This is the Evan Solomon Show. I'm thinking about transitions and special connections. And last night, my daughter, who lives in Montreal in her first year, um, called me and she said, Hey, Dad, did you see that the new Marvel uh, Disney streaming show Moon Knight is on starring Oscar Isaac? Do you want to check it out? Because she's a Marvel fan. I said, Of course. Just because I love watching shows with my daughter. So I watched it and she watched it and we talked about it today. Then in my wife and my uh, nephews and nieces and my wife's sister and uh, our kids, we all have a little Wordle thing. So in the morning we get online and we all do a little Wordle just to connect, you know, just to keep people living in different cities connected. And on Sunday, um, I will be coaching the last time my son, we've co- I've coached his, his hockey team with a, you know, a, you know, sometimes co-coach, sometimes assistant coached. And uh, with a bunch of great dads and coaches and coached his whole hockey career. And, and my wife coached my daughter and coaching has been one of the greatest experiences and connections. We went on countless tournaments all over the country and the province. And, and um, my son said, dad, I think this is our last game together on Saturday and Sunday. This is our last tournament. And it will be for a lot of dads and moms and, and kids. And I just thought, I got to find new connections and playing sports or coaching. As one coach famously said, how do kids spell love? T-I-M-E. How do kids spell love? T-I-M-E. Just spend time with your kids. 
and you got to keep spending time. So I'm just going to ask you, what are your special connections to your kids or your parents? If you're listening and you say, oh, my dad and I, or my mom and I, what are your special connections? Like I'm trying to reestablish some and, and my son and I are going to have to figure it out. And and because playing hockey or, or ringette with my daughter and my wife, those were some of the most special things we ever did. Now we coached a million different sports and lots of parents do. And we're, we're not, we're not, we're like every other parent. one 855 or seven ten ten. Maybe it's sewing. I know Hannah said she and her dad, who's a chef, she learned how to cook from her dad. Evan, me too. Last hockey game for hockey 18. Growing men cried last week. I'm so sad. Yeah. This is the time, right? The U18s. And I know I got a buddy named Jamie Lawheed. I remember when his son, he coached his son in hockey. Jamie's a good buddy of mine in Toronto. He, I remember the photo of his son. And it was teary when he said last time. Evan, such a sad day as a parent. My husband coached our son in hockey and lacrosse. The parents became our social circle, and I love the tournaments. You and your wife will find that your friends will change again as your children move on. I'm teary listening to you discuss the last hockey game, <clears throat> says Allison. Thanks, Al. Totally get it. Evan, my six-year-old, has a healthy obsession with soccer. Saturday mornings in front of the TV cheering on Liverpool Football Club. She sings and chants. Never want that to end. I'm coaching her starting this year. Love it. You know what one of the greatest things is? When my, when my son's friends, who I love, they're great guys, they still call me coach. Hey, coach. Hey, coach. How's it going, coach? How's it going, coach? Those bonds with these young men who are going to do great things, they're the future. It's fantastic. Evan, my dad and I pour a glass of wine or a beer and blast a Mark Knopfler on the stereo. We'll forever be our father-son thing. Oh, man. That's beauty. Hey, Ev, I love taking my son out to the shooting range and teaching him marksmanship and respect for firearms. Great. Beautiful. I actually took my son when he was like five to the shooting range. My wife's like, why? I'm like, healthy respect for guns. No problem. Ev, uh, funny you say about your Wordle experience. My wife and I and five kids. Wow. Connect every morning. However, each day a different person picks a word that relates to our family and other guests, and we guess it. It's been a great experience. Oh, we do it over Skype as we have kids in the UK and Germany. Thanks, Chris. Chris, five kids. Way to go. Oh, my God. There are so many texts. The, the calls are coming in, but i got to read these texts. Oh, man. Okay, hold on. Let me take one call. i got so many texts here. Uh, Charlotte, what do you got? So I'm a single mom. My time with my kids is really special and we do hot dog hits and misses, and we also do French fry, French fry hot hits and misses. And it's just a twice a week where we just stop everything, no screens, around hot dogs or like French fries with all kinds of different things on them and stuff. And just to not have any disruptions or inter- interruptions. Oh, I love it. I'm kind of losing your line a bit, which is too bad. I know you're in probably the Halton Hills. Thank you. Uh, but I, listen, I appreciate it. Yeah, anything's great. Uh, Craig, let's take one from Montreal. Craig, what's up? Hi, uh, here in Montreal, uh, my son, my father put me in martial arts when I was five, and he stuck with it with me for uh, quite a few years. And at one point, he had to bow out, uh, age and finances. And then when I had a son, I loved that connection that I had with my dad doing it. So I put my son in it, and I joined as well. And unfortunately, we're coming to the point where he's doing um, much better than I am. Mm. He doesn't need me to hold his hand anymore. 
So, uh, he's got to kind of take the ropes and, uh, and go off on his own with it. Oh man. How great. By the way, that, <clears throat> the martial arts is so great. Can it, you know, it just leads me to a story real quick. If I can, man, we should do this all day guys. Um, you know, my dad passed away in November and my dad, uh, he didn't have a lot of, he, he grew up in a very poor family, but he ended up loving tennis and he joined a tennis club and he learned how to play tennis and he, he loved it. And he taught uh, my sister and brother and I, and uh, when my dad passed away, we played a lot with my dad. It was a real connection. And my brother and I had to go clean out his locker. Uh, and he had all his tennis stuff still in it. And it was hard. And uh, I gave my son my dad's tennis racket, which he <coughs> hung up over his bed. And his other grandfather, my wife's dad, who passed away, was a big Leafs fan and gave my son a Leafs jersey and, and he has that over his bed as well. These connections matter and um, I'm getting teary. God. I'll go to Rick. Go for it, Rick. Hey, how's it going, Evan? It's, 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 My, it's hitting uh, me. It's hitting me, man. It's hitting me hard. Hey, I can hear it. I can hear it. Fuzz. For me and my son, it is, uh, he's been, he's 13 years old now, and he's been snowmobiling with me since he was about seven years old. And now that he can go out on the trails with me on his own machine, I mean, we got out three or four times this winter, and there's nothing better than just watching him do yeah. well at it and having your kids do well at something and so having other people compliment them that, you know what, that kid can really do that stuff. And, and just, and there's, I'm, I regret the day when he's going to move off and, and not mm. do it with me anymore, but damn, I hope it doesn't stop soon. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I, we, we go camping with the kids and it's like that. And you know what they're going to do though? And, and, and you're just saying something real beautiful here, Rick. Um, they're not going to stop doing it with you. But you know, one day they'll no, do it. They, I, they're they're going to start doing it with their kid. With their kids. Yeah, that's what yeah. I did with my dad. Yeah, and, and, oh, uh, yeah. And that is that is means the world to me. There's nothing better. Right. Like these connections are so great. Hey, thanks, brother. And and I'm sorry I got all choked up thinking about my dad. But man, I, I just hope you and your son have many many great rides on that snowmobile, and and you do it with your kids. Uh, I got so many calls here. Um, Eva took my only daughter camping every year when she was growing up. To this day, although she's married with a family, we go camping. I'm in my seventies. Best day of the year still. Ev, thanks for the advice. Looking forward to sharing experience with my son. Golf, we can do movies, kayaking, guys, anything. Just sharing these special connections. And, and, and there's transitions. Um, and then these transitions happen and generationally. Um, Evan, my husband coached house league and competitive girls soccer for our daughter's team, and I was the manager. For 10 years, we built a family with our team. Barbecues, picnics, parties. It came to an end when our daughter went to university. So many memories, I miss them. You know, my wife... Um, her dad was the coach. Her mom was the manager. Her, her dad, who was a working class, great guy, Tom, who's passed. He coached my wife's ringette, uh, his, uh, other two sons, hockey, football, baseball, everything. And then the mom was always the manager, you know, sports, chess, cooking, any snowmobile and shoot, whatever it is. How do you spell love? T I M E. I'm going to have some real real special time with my son and my daughter and we got to find new ways because in this world of disunity 
these connections. I really thank you. I'm sorry I got a little choked up. We got a we got a remarkable story from a Canadian Olympian gymnast coming up. This one, you just you just don't want to miss it. Talking to the newsmakers every day. The conversation continues with Evan Solomon. Hey, welcome back to the show. First of all, I want to thank everybody for the nice, beautiful notes about the special connection between you and your your kids or your parents, whether it's coaching or not. As um, uh, a lot of you call in at one eight five five six three three ten ten, and and you run into Nick, our call screener who does a great job. Uh, Nick lost his dad two years ago. Um, and uh, yesterday was the second anniversary of Nick's dad's passing. So Nick, we're thinking about you, brother. As I was choking up about my dad and cleaning up my dad's locker, Nick was too, and as many of you are. And, and sport is supposed to be the thing that unites us. One of the things, anyway. Uh, coaching. There's no greater pleasure than seeing your kid perform. And Alexander Landry knows this better than anyone. She's a Canadian Olympian gymnast. She competed in the rhythmic gymnastics team that <clears throat> at the Olympics in 2012 in London. She won three medals at the 2011 Pan American Games. She's uh, an athlete at the highest level. But she's also one of the group of gymnasts and 10 Olympians who sent a letter to Sports Canada on Monday saying that they suffered through brutal abuse and the toxic culture at Gymnastics Canada. And it completely poisoned their experience as athletes. And I think 217 people in total have now signed that. And she joins us now to talk about it. Alexander, first of all, thank you, Alexander, for for representing our country so well. And I cannot imagine what you're going through. Um... T- tell tell us about why why you signed this letter and and what happened to you and your and so many of your other athletes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on and really allowing me to speak about my story and uh, stand up for all the other gymnasts that have decided to sign this letter. So you know we have been through a lot within the last years of the sports and we are seeing other athletes speak up about the toxic culture that they're experiencing in their sport. And I think this whole movement has really encouraged athletes to speak out. And, you know, we have, we were subject to toxic culture and abusive practices within Canadian gymnastics. And knowing that this is still going on, even after 10 years that I've been away from the sport, I think it's time for a change. So I think it's now or never, and we need to go all in on this movement. Can you tell people what happened? Like when we hear <clears throat> toxic culture and, and abuse, mm-hmm. and again, only if they, only if you're comfortable, Alexandra. Like, what happened to you? What happened to what? What, what stories are you hearing, and and what did you experience? Yeah, absolutely. So we talk about toxic culture and verbal abuse a lot within rhythmic gymnastics, and you know any other form of gymnastics. Me personally, what happened to me is I was shamed for my body, for my weight, multiple years in the sport. Um, You know, it started off, I started gymnastics when I was young. So, of course, you know, as women, we have a certain body when we're little. And then when we grow up, things change. 
So as I was maturing and my body was changing, I was receiving a lot of comments from my coach regarding my weight, regarding what I looked like. And being a part of a group setting just made it worse because you were standing beside other girls that didn't look like you. And, you know, you were being pointed out quite often. So, like shamed. You're openly being yes. shamed. Exactly. So I've received comments such as being called a fat cow, um, you know, making the team look horrible, making Canada look bad because of my weight, being called fat every day. A coach uh, we called were, you a fat cow in front of other. How old were you at that point? When this started, I would say I was probably around 15 to 16. Like, I'm, I, I, I just tell you, I was just telling our listeners, you know, I'm one of the coaches mm-hmm. for my kids uh, in yeah. soccer and hockey and all this. Uh, and, and, like, you can't do that in Hockey Canada. Aren't there rules? Like, does no one mm-hmm. say anything? No, no one was saying anything. And, you know, our we didn't have a direct line to Gymnastics Canada. Our line was our coach. Our coach would then speak to Gymnastics Canada. So we kind of felt like we were stuck in this situation. And to be honest with you, like, this is something that I obviously spoke to my parents about. But then when I saw them getting angry and them trying to do something, I would just get in trouble in practice because of it. So it would come back right on me. And I was scared of losing my spot on the team. So this really just made me scared to speak out. So that, I just, That's it, though. You, you yeah. scared to lose your spot scared. on the team. Okay. That could go to Pan yeah. Games, Pan American Games, or the Olympics, right? That is such mm-hmm. a powerful hold on you. You're going to take anything to make it, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. And you've worked so hard to get to that point. And for me to lose that spot, I there was no way that I could. So I just wrote in my journals about what was going on and kept my mouth shut for a long time. How bad did it get, if you don't mind? So... In terms of my self-esteem, I honestly lost all confidence in myself. I was making a lot of mistakes at competitions because I wasn't confident. And to be honest with you, it got to a point where when I would get home and I would get in my room and I would change, I would have to turn the lights off so I wouldn't see myself in the mirror while I was changing because I was so unhappy. It's unbelievable. And and first of all, it's brutal. Second of all, mm-hmm. it's actually crappy coaching. It's actually letting, it's not helping your performance. It's hurting your performance. And, and when you finally, when did you acknowledge this and realize you're not the only one? Other, other athletes were experiencing this. What's crazy is that I posted a photo of my journal entry regarding this situation nine years after the Olympics. And that's when I realized that I wasn't the only one going through it. I've had, I had gymnasts reach out to me and say, I felt the exact same way as you, Alex. And that's when I realized, because at the time I thought I was completely alone living this. You're an Olympian. You're like the apex athlete and you're Mm -hmm. actually suffering. You're lonely, you're abused. So so now that this has come out, and by the way, we spoke to the bobsled and and skeleton athletes who Mm -hmm. had the same, um, what do you what needs to happen to change this? What do you want to happen uh, in gymnastics Canada? I really, really want there to be an independent investigation. I want other gymnasts to speak out. I want I just want to shed some light on this situation, and I want current gymnasts and future gymnasts to feel safe. I don't want this to taint the sport of gymnastics. I just want athletes to be safe. And, you know, I do want there to be 
some acknowledgement that what was done in the past and what is happening is wrong. And I want those people to realize that what they did is not okay. There were sexual abuse I've heard, uh, allegations of it. Yes. Yes, that's correct. We've heard that in the U.S. So that was covered up too, allegedly? So apparently, and, you know, I can only speak on what I know because this isn't my personal experience, but apparently there were complaints that were a little bit, you know, brushed under the rug in those situations. First of all, there's no excuse for any of this stuff. But I got to ask you, like, to be a great athlete, it is so difficult. It's so painful. It requires such insane commitment. What is the line between giving it all and almost where coaches are pushing you to be the best and then abuse? Like, how do you, what's the line? It's hard to say because to be honest with you, when you're in the moment, you think that it's okay. You think that this is what it takes to get to the top. And you are just so caught up in it that you don't actually even realize that what's going on is wrong. And that's also what's scary about the situation because you think that everything is okay and that this right. is normal. But you don't realize that there is a different way for you to get to the top level and make it to the Olympics. It doesn't have to be this abusive. But you, you don't, do, you, do you regret doing what you did to get to the Olympics? I, I don't regret it because, you know, there's, there's a side of me that tells me, you know, at the end of the day, after everything that I went through, I get to say that I'm an Olympian and that I represented my country. So that really, you know, helps me and it makes me feel proud. Well, first, let me say we're proud of you. And, and not you. just because of what you did in the Olympics or the Pan American Games, but because of what you're doing now, which mm-hmm. is also hard. And, you know, the, the physical abuse and the mental abuse that you and so many others took to become great Olympians. Alexandra Landry, I I hope change happens and what you're doing now has all our support. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's the great Alexandra Landry. When important decisions are made, we report. Here's Evan Solomon. Welcome back to the show. It is that beautiful time of the week where we bring on Risking It All with Dan Riskin, our CTV science and technology specialist. Do we not have our sting for Risking It All yet? No. We're working on it, Dan. It's in what we call the skunk works. Skunk works. You know where that term comes from? I, I no, know you well, do. skunks, I assume, but I don't know anything more than that. I know what but, a skunk is. But you know how you've heard of skunk works? No. I actually know something you don't know. Oh, you know lots of things I don't know, Evan Solomon, but what is Skunk Works? The Skunk Works was in the uh, American military program, the Skunk Works program, where there are innovation programs, where we're sort of far out things. They'd say, let's try to develop things, crazy new technologies. And it was like DARPAnet. They were called the Skunk Works Projects. And that, I, I got to now look it up. I just assume, I actually just threw it out there, assuming that you would say, ah, Evan, Skunk Works. Because I, I, like, I literally see you as the smartest person I know. <laughs> well, listen, I know lots of things about skunks. And I have a lot of respect for skunks. The thing I like most about skunks is that they're able to do 
a handstand and then sort of bend their bum over their head and point oh their stink glands at you and then spray you. So like if you're if you're attacked by a skunk or, or chased by a skunk or a, your a skunk is defending itself against you, they can do this really impressive handstand, which makes you want to stand there and open your mouth and just go, wow, but that's <laughs> the last thing you should do because that's when it's about to hit you with the spray. So I, that alone makes skunks really cool. And they're, they're smart. They're all over Canada. They're these hidden things that do really well in our cities that we never see unless somebody hits one with a car and we can all smell mm. it. They're just really neat creatures. Uh, uh, the Wikipedia says skunk works is the official suit for Lockheed Martin's Advanced Development Projects, formerly called the Advanced Development Projects. It is responsible for aircraft designs beginning with the P-38 Lightning in 1939. The engineers there developed all sorts of things like the F-22 Raptor, the F-35 Lightning II right now. And the name comes from the, quote, the moonshine factory in the comic strip Little Abner, the designation Skunk Works, is widely used in business, engineering, and technical fields to describe a group within an organization giving a high degree of autonomy, unhampered by bureaucracy, to work on advanced or secret projects. There it is. I like it. There it is. Skunk Wars. Right? So, so now, okay, so in, 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 in true fashion, I've taught you something, which I really didn't, but now you teach me something about the benefits of booze or not. Yeah. So you've taught me something that makes me happy knowing about skunk works. I'm going to teach you something that makes a lot of people a little bit sad, but it, it's, it's not that bad. So the, the headline is that scientists at MIT and Harvard have kind of ruined the fun thing that we all knew that if you have just a couple drinks, if you just have like the occasional drink after work, maybe one drink a day, it's good for you overall. Because if you look at the health of people who have one drink a day, they're actually healthier than people who don't drink at all. So it must be that the drinks are making you healthier. But this new study came out where uh, they looked at 370,000 people for whom they had more than just how much they drink. They had genetic data, they had exercise data, they had smoking data, they had all these lifestyle features. It's a big uh, study out of the UK called Biobank, where they're tracking a whole bunch of people in the long term. And so they went to that data set to test whether that drinking thing really is true. And they replicated the finding that everybody knows that if you have a moderate amount of alcohol, like one to seven drinks a week, you're actually healthier than people who have zero drinks a week. Right. But the people who have more than that are the least healthy. The people who drink too much obviously are, are the lowest health. But what they found was there are a whole bunch of things that correlate with the fact that you have a drink once a week. People who tend to have a little bit of, of drinking also tend to be people who exercise more. And they also tend to be people who don't smoke so much. And in fact, a lot of those things they do more than the people who don't drink at all. And so once you take out all those exercise factors and diet factors and smoking factors, and you cancel them out mathematically, the benefit so-called right. alcohol goes away. So, but, so but maybe it's just so it's correlative. It's like, you know what? You like to chill out. You exercise a bit. You like to have a beer after a run or a, you go to do whatever, you know, play, play your uh, pickup basketball game. You have a beer. Great. It shows that you can, you know, de, you know, the cortisol's gone. You de-stress. You're, that's fine. But it's not the booze that's making you healthy. It's the other stuff. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And what's really important from this study, so what I don't want people to do is get the, the take-home message that any amount of alcohol is bad for you, because technically that's true, but... 
going for a beer with your friends after basketball is very good for you, right? Those social interactions and that unwinding and the routine of it is very good for you. And what all these studies in the past have shown is that that overpowers the negative effect of a small amount of alcohol. So the effect of alcohol and how it affects your heart health, for example, is exponential, which means that, yeah, if you're having between 15 and 21 drinks a week, uh, you know, like three drinks a day, you're not doing yourself any favors. But if you're having one drink a week, yes, you are a tiny bit above zero, but like just barely. And so what they say is, you know, between one and seven drinks a week, you're looking at a tiny, tiny increase in any of those risks. And then it gets bigger if you go to eight to 14 drinks a week, and then much larger if you've got more than that. And so, you know, a little bit of drinking isn't technically good for you directly. It's not the thing giving you all those health benefits. But if that's part of your routine, and you're getting that exercise, and you're eating healthy, and you're not smoking, and you're doing all those other things, then don't sweat the small stuff. It's okay Mm. to have a beer with your friends after basketball. Okay, well, here's what I need to drink. Is there a birth control pill for men? Yeah. Yeah. I, this is, this is exciting. So, I mean, when it comes to birth control, women have been doing the heavy lifting for way too long, right? I mean, there's so many options for the women's side and there's so little for the men, men have condoms and that's, that's it. Right. So no, we got the big is, snip. We, we, you can't well, get the, the snip. snip too. Yeah. You which get is the snip. a little hard to reverse. Right. So that's yeah, the yeah. thing is like a lot of people go through a period in their life where they don't want to have kids, but they do want to have relations and they don't necessarily, a snip isn't really necessarily the solution for that part of life if you're thinking that later you'd like to have kids. So this is a pill that would be for men. It has been tested in mice and it worked beautifully. And they are talking about human trials as early as next year. And what makes it neat is that it's not about hormones. So they've done pills in the past that affect production of sperm by attacking testosterone, but it also like there are a whole bunch of things testosterone does for men, one of which is libido, right? And so when you take things that block testosterone, all of a sudden you're not in the mood anyway, and also you're depressed. And also there are a whole bunch of other problems that can happen if you're taking things that block testosterone. So um, this is a birth control pill that blocks uh, something that makes proteins work with vitamin A to make functional sperm. And so when they gave it to the mice, Mm. the mice sperm counts dropped off to being negligible. They were basically sterile uh, or fertile infertile, sorry, uh, and for as long as they were taking those pills. And then when they took the mice off the pills, they ramped right back oh, up to normal sperm production. But does it have one of those things where it's like, you know, they always do these ads on TV where like, <clears throat> please take this drug. And then the voice goes on, may yeah. cause, wouldn't it be hilarious or not, if the thing that blocks the testosterone, the male birth control pill, has the side effect of erectile dysfunction. <laughs> yeah, it would be. It, yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> like, one oh, way to prevent. One of the side <laughs> effects of the pill is there are a lot of erectile to, dysfunction, yeah. so it's, it a works doubly. <laughs> I, yeah, there, there are a lot of ways to get the job done. And yeah. so, yes, that, that, is, uh, that would be one way to it. And there have been a lot of different trials, but this is one that shows a lot of promise. Now, before everybody gets all excited, they do point out that, you know, the, when you go from mouse to human and they start with the, the right. human trials, they haven't found any side effects in the mice. With the mice, they tried ramping it up to 100 times the normal dosage and it had no ill effect. So they right. really, I mean, everything looks as good as it could possibly look at this stage. Right. But human and mice are, you know, we're yeah. different animals. And you don't want to be the guy that says, hey, you know, look, it, it worked out mouse but it's not gonna work on me yeah uh, okay congratulations dad we yeah. worked on the mouse maybe you can name your kids mickey and minnie because... <laughs> not many uh, okay uh dan risking you're the best thank you Thanks sir i will see you on power flip <laughs> bye